and welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at Rope It Ope, I get to interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their latest record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent and motivation around their new release. I've found that given the opportunity, in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. Today on the show, Mr. Jonathan Scales. We first met Jonathan back in 2013 when he brought us his self-titled Jonathan Scales Forchestra album, and we of course were pleasantly surprised that it was a trio. But it was his aggressive reinterpretation of the steel pan in a jazz setting and his intricate compositions that struck us the most. We've watched Jonathan go from local band to international touring act, performing with some of the best jazz players on the planet and earning respect from the music community and fans alike. Through his sheer will and determination, Jonathan has thrived. His new album, Pillar, came out in September 2018 and includes notable guests like Christian Scott Atundeajua, Bela Fleck, Mono Neon, Victor Wooten, O'Teal Burbridge, Sean Martin, and Weedy Brema. Wow. The late great Colonel Bruce Hampton said to me, Jonathan Scales is a bad man. And by bad, he meant very, very good. All right, here we are, 21 Soul with the Rope It Ope Room, and I'm speaking with Mr. Jonathan Scales. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, I happy want, to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time, and uh, thank you, uh, as always, for the, the beautiful music. We were uh, preparing for this, and, and asked, I asked the question, how we met. So let's start there. Right. So uh, I guess that would have been 2013 when I released my first record with you. That was the, the self-titled Jonathan Scales Forchester record. And uh, I believe that um, we reached out to you just hoping that somebody would notice. And, but in the meantime, we were working on it on our own. And I think that we actually finished the record and pressed it and everything. And then we finally heard back from you right after that. But we were just happy to, you know, that Rope Dope wanted our little project. So we re-released it on rope it just immediately after. Yeah, I was, I was very slow to get back to you, <laughs> which, which I guess is not unfamiliar, but it, it's just, I don't, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes in, but I'm glad that we did yeah. and, and release that. And um, yeah, I'm glad you got back to us too. Yeah, man. So, you know, the, 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 it took me that long, I think to understand what was happening. And I, and I think we're still at a place where, um, when people hear what you're doing, uh, and obviously the steel pan, it kind of bends their brain a little bit and, and, and they need to understand it. I mean, I, I certainly think, and, and I'm talking over the years with all the players, all the jazz players know exactly what you're doing. Uh, but I think right. for a general audience, um, you know, I'd, I'd like you to try to break it down. Like how, how, why the steel pan and, and, and what is your intent uh, with that instrument? Well, I would say that uh, most people that see the instrument, especially at a live show or they hear recording, the first thing that comes to their mind is uh, just the stereotype of Caribbean music and being on a cruise ship or by a beach or something like that and, and hearing a, a steel drummer. Um, and I guess what what I am doing with my, my music is kind of just... Um, because I wasn't raised with that type of music because I'm not from Trinidad, mm -hmm. I tend to just pull from my own experiences, whether it be from uh, like modern classical music or 
like progressive jazz or even bluegrass or just just whatever type of music I'm listening to at the time. I kind of just jumped instantly into that as opposed to going the traditional route of, you know, first playing my own Calypso's and, and playing all the covers and, and all those things. I just went head first into just um, trying my hand at whatever was in my head, which at the time was a lot of like modern classical stuff, really. So when people listen to it and hear it, I think it kind of bends their brains a little bit because they're expecting one thing and they hear another thing. Right. That makes any sense. It absolutely yeah. does. And it's fascinating to me how uh, how an instrument can be so uh, sort of typecast. <laughs> Uh, All right. You know, I had a for sure. with uh, with uh, Akinola Senon about right the history of the steel pan, and I'd like to throw it in here right now, just so people do understand that rhythm or that drum drums were outlawed in Trinidad uh, for That's a right. long time in colonial times, and uh, probably right up until the in the forties or fifties, right in the last century. Uh, and then yeah, that's right. Trinidad was an oil producing country. Uh, and so when drums were allowed to be played again, that's, that's the origin of that instrument. Am I, am I correct and accurate in that? That's definitely, that's a definitely a good, um, summation of, of the whole thing. Of course, there's more things that can be gotten into, but, um, you know, when the drums, when musical instruments were outlawed, you know, people would just kind of pick up anything they could to make music with. Sometimes it was pieces of bamboo. Sometimes it was just like little cans, like little uh, biscuit tins and things like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, from there it developed into what we, what we now have as a steel pan because, uh, you know, if you have like a little biscuit tin, you might be able to play two or three notes. But then they wanted to expand the instrument to kind of be able to do anything that a violin could do or a piano could do. So eventually the instruments became the size that they are now so they can fit all the notes on there. So it was a little process. Yeah, how does that work? I, I'm so fascinated. Is it too complicated to discuss right now? But how you're basically hammering out pieces or parts of the uh, of the drum head? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a little complex to to explain over a phone interview. But uh, you know, if you take a an oil barrel and you take that that flat surface and make it concave, and then from the other side you make these little pockets that are uh, convex. From there, mm-hmm. um, tuners are able to tune those little sections of notes to, to make actual pitches and it's that t- are distinguished from one another. It's tuned by sort of hammering it out and, and, and molding the... Yeah, essentially. Essentially. There's definitely a lot more scientific things that go along with it, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, honestly, as a player, I stay far away from the tuning as possible because that's a whole other world, so... I'm thankful for the tuners that work with me and what they do is magic. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so it's no secret that one of your uh, early influences uh, is uh, Bella Fleck. Yes, sir. Uh, you've, you've, you've made that clear. Um, and I, I, I wonder how you're feeling about the things that you've done on the steel pan uh, you know, in comparison or contrast or, or sim- similarly uh, to, to what Bella Fleck has done with banjo? Well, I think that, uh, firstly, um, sometimes it could be interpreted as, you know, I kind of saw what Bela was doing and I, and I wanted to push my instrument in a, 
in a non-traditional way also. But I was already kind of doing something non-traditional when I discovered Bayless music. So it was really more like um, a confirmation that, hey, I'm on the right path. Hey, this is something that is possible. Um, and in terms of what Bayless done, I mean, he's, he's legendary. So I can't even think of what all I would have to do to get to what he's done with the banjo. But, you know, all I can do really is little by little just be true to myself. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me, especially steel drum blogs and things like that, they ask me about the future of the instrument and where it's going and things like that. But my whole thing is just, if I stay here right now with myself and just uh, uh, express myself how I want to express myself on the instrument, I feel like that pushes it further along without me actually having to plan and think, you know, where am, where am I going to push this instrument in 20 years or things like that, you know? Cause I feel like that can be kind of contrived when people try to, uh, when people try to push an instrument or try to push a boundary, you know what I mean? Yes. So I just, I kind of don't think about it to make a long story short. I kind of don't think about it. I just, I just do what I do. And then I let the other people say if it's, you know, if it's pushing a boundary for the instrument or if it's, if it's, you know, progressive for what people are no normally used to hearing, I try to stay out of it as much as I can. There, there's a certain uh, openness, and, and I'm getting the sense when you say that you try to stay out of. It. I think you, I think you're trying to stay out of just definition, right? Uh, and do and doing your own thing. Um, yeah, because you know, at the end of the day, like all I can really do is be myself. So you know, there are traditionalists who would prefer that I play more calypso. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's people who are more jazz oriented who wish I played more traditional jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like for me, if I, I feel like the best that I can do in terms of pushing the instrument is just to stay in my lane and to, you know, keep making music that I hear in my head. Uh, because I feel like it's, it's naturally doing that without me having to, um, to, to sit down and think, okay, what am I going to do next? Because as complex as my music is, and as different as it is for the steel pan, none of it is really um, kind of like plotted out with the goal of pushing the instrument itself. Mm -hmm. It's just me making music. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that's like what's happening at the end of the day, that's a surprise to me too. <laughs> so it's hard for me to talk about that because I'm approaching the music just from a musical standpoint. And I just so happened to be playing the steel pan. And then, you know, when the reviewers and when the listeners pick it up, then that's when they start to say things like, you know, that it's innovative or progressive and, you know, taking new turns. But right. from where I am, it just happens to be my voice. So it's a, it's really a complicated thing for me to speak on directly. Because I'm actually just, I'm, I listen to what people say about it too to hear what they have to say about it and kind of get their perspective. <laughs> yeah, man, it's interesting. Right. So I think what you're pointing out is that we don't, we don't know that something's progressive until after the fact, uh, really a lot of the time, you know, it's just, I, I reflect on like a, you know, did Ray Charles sit down and say, I'm going to combine these two styles and create. Exactly. Or did I remember hearing uh, Joey Ramone one time when they said, you know, how, what, you know, why are you doing punk rock? And he's like, punk, punk rock. Like we're just playing the songs the way we hear them, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. So, 
That's cool. So, but this, but this openness, uh, and, and as well as the focus that you have, has led you to collaborate with a lot of people. It's one of the things I notice about, you know, you've got a formation. First, you have a band called the Forkestra, which is basically a trio, is it not? <laughs> this is true. A lot of people. That's the most common question I have from people. And uh, just to cover that ground, it used to be a quartet back in the day, mm-hmm. in like 2011, actually. And uh, once the fourth member left, who was a guitar player, we just kept it going. And uh, and we kept the same name because it was kind of branding. You know, we already we were already called the Forkestra. So people knew us as the Forkestra. So I just kept going with it. Yeah. So the marketing guy in me is like, well, you know, that's that's great. And we have that on tape, but uh, or on recording. But, you know, maybe you could just say that there's, an, you know, some some invisible fourth member of the band. <laughs> people say that people say that I, I, and some people say that the audience is the fourth member some people say it's because i play two steel pans some people say that the music itself is the fourth thing and that's another thing where i just let people say whatever they will because i'm too busy trying to make this music <laughs> yeah so let's talk about yeah. uh you know I, I mentioned that you've collaborated with a lot of people and and so i think that'll just uh, sort of drop us right into this this record so it's been we've been waiting for a record for a while so i'm really thrilled that it's coming that it's here um talk talk if you will about some of the people that are on the record and you know and how, and how that came about if you will cool um so i guess it's been about four years since i released a record maybe i want to say um and since then i've been touring a lot and just so with uh you know with all the connections i have and just nurturing everything that i've been trying to build for the past 11 years so um so to get into it bale flex on the record which is mostly because you know he's such a huge inspiration just what he does with the banjo and i followed the flex tones for so long so uh speaking of the flex tones uh victor Rutten is also on the record uh, Jeff Coffin is on the record. Who had, yeah, I've been following him. He's on the road with Dave Matthews Band, so um, I, I follow him on social media right now and see everything he's doing. Um, and then some guys that are closer to me, like Mono Neon, who I toured with, um, Weedy Brema, the world-renowned African percussionist, mm-hmm. um, Sean Martin, who a lot of people know from Snarky Puppy. A lot of people know from his producing and um, musical directing with Kurt Franklin and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, O'Teal Burbridge, who is currently on the road with Dead and Company. Um, that's that's been a something I've been wanting to work with him for so long, and you know that's a that's a story within itself of how that came to be. <laughs> uh, also, um, Wet Rescue Unit, I would add uh, O'Teal, right? Yep, that's right. Yep, Almond Brothers and. So so many things. Derek played with Derek Trucks, and so so many things that happened with him. Also, uh, Christian Scott's on the record, which I'm really mm-hmm. thrilled about. So those, and those, um, those are unique experiences. Each one, I you know, uh, obviously Mono, you and Mono have a, have a thing because he's been in, you know playing with you for some time. But uh, but when you you know, what was it like getting you know in a room with Sean Martin or you know just trading off? Well. You know, some of the stuff as as modern times are a lot of stuff was done remotely. Okay. So it was really interesting for me to be a producer just on the road, on tour, on my phone, talking back and forth with someone like Sean Martin as he's in the studio tracking his parts, him sending me parts and 
um, firstly, one thing that I always have to remember when I produce this record is that like, okay, Jonathan, I'm the producer. I have to get what I need from, from these people who I look up to so much. So everyone would uh, give me their contribution. I listen to it. And if I heard something as a producer, you know, as, as big a fan I am of them, of each individual person, I'd have to, you know, put my producer hat on and say, oh, hey, Sean Martin, can you add this one part here? Or can you do this? Which <laughs> that can be a surprisingly difficult thing to do when you're, when you've like idolized these people for so long, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy territory right there, man. <laughs> it, it's crazy territory. But one thing that was really cool about it was, uh, you know, I felt a lot of respect from everyone. And, um, you know, it was really cool just to feel that everyone wants to be involved in the project and respected my ideas as a composer and as a producer. And um, I feel very fortunate about that. And same thing with Bela Fleck. So like with Bela Fleck, he actually came to Asheville. He was passing through Asheville and we actually got him in the studio and we worked for about five hours. He was there from, you know, us learning all the parts all the way to the end with editing. Mm -hmm. So he was very hands-on with the whole thing. And it was really humbling for me to see that he, um, you know, he wanted it to be as perfect as it could be for me. So anything that he did, he was always asking me, what about this? What about this? You know, like somebody would think, okay, he's a Dale Fleck, 16 Grammy, 16 time Grammy winner or whatever, yeah. 18 maybe at this point, uh, that he would just come in, do his thing, leave, and that's it. But no, he came in and uh, he wanted to make sure that everything was right. He wanted to make sure that uh, all the little details that I, that I was hearing were popping out. Wow. And he sat there with us and made sure that we had everything that we needed and that the, the sounds were as good as they could be. And even in the mixing process, we sent him tracks back and forth and he would respond back with mixing notes. Wow. Um, wow. Yes. That's pretty intense. And, and commitment to quality. That's, you know, I guess. Exactly. Grammys, right? Yeah. Right. Well, well, and I, you know, I don't, I've never met Bella, but uh, I think I met just about everybody else there, uh, except maybe Weedy, but you know, certainly the one thing that was seemed to be, you know, in common is that I'll have a certain, level of humility uh that that develops from respecting the music uh so while it might be intended yeah. to ask them to make changes uh i don't think it's foreign to them and i think they get it you know like of course right as good as it can be fascinating fascinating so uh how many how many tracks on on this record is there is there any particular track that there are eight uh, eight tracks yeah and we're set for a September 14th release. Um, yeah, which is my birthday. All right. Well, happy birthday in advance. I'll be busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> <We're> <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. We, we just released a record today on someone's birthday, uh, Tosin Arabasala, um, who is doing some interesting things. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, it seems to, seems to be a thing. We should just do that straight across, release on your birthday. Um, <laughs> what, um, you know... We've, we've talked about the people on the album and, and, and you've mentioned that it's been a, a few years since you've had a record out. Do you want to, do you want to say what this project means to you at this point in time? Uh, yeah. So, um, so the album's called, and there's actually really, of course, the last two years or so, a lot has happened just on a personal side, you know, not to get into too many details, but you know, the things that people go through in their lives with, personal relationships and career things. And it all kind of added up to the point where 
um, the music that I've been writing for the past couple of years has kind of, you know, exemplified everything I've been going through, whether it is loss or perseverance or whether it's um, just having some kind of glimmer of hope or some kind of focus. Um, all the music kind of relates to that. And the concept of the album uh, Pillar is basically that, like, you know, having to having to stand strong and withstand everything that's happening around you, whether it's whether it's like an earthquake or whether it's a mm-hmm. hurricane or any kind of storm, mentally and emotionally and spiritually and all of those things, and having to just be this solid rock to keep everything together. So you know, as not only as a um, as a as a as a person in real life who's also in relationships and his friends and things like that, but also as a band leader and someone who's trying to lead a group of musicians through uncertain times and having to um, at least feel like I need to be the, the pillar or the structural stability for everything around, around you. It's too far deep into it, but like mm-hmm. get along with this as I finish the record. I'm, I'm also starting to understand that like, I don't necessarily have to be that, you know, but, but I felt like that. And that's where a lot of this music comes from. When you feel like you, when you feel like it's your burden to support everything around you and make sure that everything happens perfectly and make sure that everything happens right. Um, it's like an extra pressure that I probably kind of put on myself. Mm-hmm. And, but at the end of the day, pillar, which I felt like a pillar, you know, the record came from that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, these are these are the times when uh, you know certainly people need to be strong, but also retain retain their uh, their humanity, right? Sensitivity and 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 so much of the music that so many of the musicians that I speak with are definitely working out some of those inner inner uh, inner uh, thoughts through the process of making music. Um, that's one of the yeah. things I love about working with musicians is that transforming the, 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 you know, being strong in the midst of, of turbulent times and transforming, you know, the perception and real suffering into something beautiful. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, sure. it's a craft, uh, and a gift and a lot of hard work. Um, well, cool, man. Jonathan scales. Thank you so much. A for the music, uh, B for taking time to be with us. The album is called, Pillar. It releases on September 14th, 2018 from the Jonathan Scales Orchestra with many special guests. I'm looking forward to at that moment when I can just, I've, I've listened a couple times, but I want to sit back and put the headphones on and, and get lost, especially uh, after hearing you describe it. So anything you want to add yes, as, as people listen to this record before we close out? Anything I want to add? Well, you know, I think that all musicians feel like this whenever they make an album, but uh, I definitely feel like I want this to be my uh, a really significant stamp from myself mm-hmm. in terms of like my music that I've released. So anyone who's a fan of mine or anyone who becomes a fan of mine, uh, I feel like I don't want to sound like any kind of weird egotistical or anything like that, but like, just like Steely Dan Asia or like Miles Davis kind of blue, like out of all the six records I've put out, I feel like this one is the one um, I've crafted 
really over 11 years and I feel like it's my, it's my actual voice coming into being. So I hope that the world receives it in that way also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, I've I've never made a record where after I finish it, I feel like, you know, I'm good for a while. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm good for a while. Like this, I feel like it holds its, holds its own. And, um, usually after I make a record, I'm already ready writing the next one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like with this one, um, you know, it's been really four years in the making, um, six, only six months in the recording. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm just curious to see where it goes. And I hope that everyone listens to it with open ears and hope everyone listens to it a million times and shares it with all their friends. But, you know, I feel like this is the one, whatever that means in terms of records. You know what I mean? I feel like... I, what I hear, what I hear is that I, I think you 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 feel a, a accomplished, you know, a sense of accomplishment with it, and you're proud of it, and uh, it feels like you you did what you set out to do, and I, you know, there's there's nothing egotistical about that. Thank you very much. I, I do feel like that. I feel like uh, I'm proud of what we've all put together. Everyone on the team, from the you know the recording engineers and the editing, mixing people who. Uh, spent hours and hours. Shout out to Dan Sharon, who spent his life with me trying to make everything sound as good as possible. Uh, to all the musicians, all the guests, uh, you know, all the really busy guests that it all came together. And I just hope everyone enjoys. Awesome. Jonathan Scales, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadope99. And you can find out more about the artists we speak with at Ropadope.com. Our show is produced by Nick Perry. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. You can find more of that at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. And finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.